0: Hello, and welcome to the Hope Reformed Baptist Church of Long Island's podcast. In this episode, we continue our series in the book of Micah. This lesson was presented by Mr. Lawrence Jeffrey on March 7th, 2021, during Sunday School. The lesson's title is The Corruption of the People, and discusses Micah chapter 3, verses 9 through 12. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast to hear future episodes. You can also visit our site. HopeReformedLI.net, and find us on Facebook and Sermon Audio for more information. Alright, so we're going to be in Micah, chapter 3 again, and probably finish out the chapter. Well, we might not finish out the chapter today, but we're going to be in the last few verses 9 to 12, Uh, we might only make it to verse 9, but we'll see. Let's uh, open in prayer, and then we'll start our conversation. So, Heavenly Father, Lord, we always thank you, Father, that we could gather together as your people on your day, Lord, and we do so again when we mean it, Lord. You have called us out of a life of Darkness and solitude, Father, and brought us into the kingdom of your Son and united us with each other and with yourself, Lord. And you've made us part of something that is much bigger than any one of us, Lord, that spans all of time and all of history, Lord God. And we thank you for that, Lord, and we Thank you, Father, that you haven't left us without instruction, that you haven't left us without understanding, but you've given us your word, Lord, and you've shown us how it is that we're to live, Father, and we pray for wisdom, especially now as we begin to look into your word, that you would guide us and teach us and uh, open our eyes, our ears and our hearts, Father, so we might see, hear, and understand the Lord God and grow in grace and in truth, Father, and help us to... Uh, Take these lessons and learn to do them, Lord God, that we might not just be hearers of the word only, but also doers, Father. We pray these things in your Son's name. Amen. Amen. All right. This one that we're going to be looking into is near and dear to my own heart. It's one of those things that I feel passionately about on a number of levels. And I think that um, when we go through these things, when we look at these things, um, it's very easy to look at them in the abstract, very hard to look at them in the practical sense. So hopefully, we can get a better understanding. Of our calling as believers, and get a better understanding of the world that we live in, because this deals directly with both things, both problems let 's let's look at what we 're going to be reading here uh, we 'll pick up from verse five and read through, but we 're going to be covering nine to twelve. And I want to focus in on one particular part. All right. So let's look here. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. Therefore, it shall be night to you without vision and darkness to you without divination The sun shall go down on the prophets, and the day shall be black over them. The seers shall be disgraced, and the diviners put to shame. They shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer from God. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might, to declare to Jacob his transgression, and to Israel his sin. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob. And rulers of the house of Israel, who detest justice, who make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its heads give judgment for a bribe, its priests teach for a price, its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Therefore, because of you... Zion shall be plowed as a field, Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins, and the mountain of the house a wooded height. All right, I probably should have read from verse 1, because the beginning of 1 says this, <clears throat> And I said, Here, are you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know justice, you who hate the good and love the evil? All right. and what does it say in verse 9? Hear this, you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight. So, very similar wording, right? That begins verse 9. Verse 9 begins with what we call, in the literary context, an inclusio, right? We've covered what an inclusio is. Who remembers what an inclusio is? Anybody? What it is and what it does, how it functions... Good. Good. Remember? That's fine. But from one verse to the other verse, all that is inclusive the Yes. That is exactly what an inclusio is. It is a literary device where you bracket an idea or a thought or a series of thoughts with similar wording at the beginning and at the end. Right, with the same wording at the beginning and at the end. Okay. And this is a very good way to make your case or have at least understanding of what is being said by the author or the speaker. Because a lot of times in Scripture, um, there's a lot of misinterpretation, right? And we could use an example of this, um, another place where we find a very strong inclusio, But uh, people have a tendency, historically, to break it apart and misapprehend it. If we look at Matthew 24, right? That's a place where people take single verses and try to apply them outside of their context quite frequently. And that leads to a grave misunderstanding and um, false eschatology and other things. You know, it's it's just... if we look at the inclusio that we find here, let's be. It begins in Matthew twenty-three. Um, let me see here. If I could find it real quick. All right. All right. So in verse thirty-six, we see this. If twenty-three, truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Right. And then there's a list of all kinds of things that is going to happen. And then, later on, Jesus says the same thing. I just have to find that as well. I didn't really uh, look this up during my study time when I was going through this. This is just a thought off the top of my head just now, just to give you an idea. It says it elsewhere. Uh, later on what 's that forty seven uh thank you very much yes exactly the same words truly I say to you he uh uh no no no, no. Nope, not forty seven i'm sorry it's somewhere in here it's okay i don't want to read the entire chapter to find my inclusio here but um uh, needless to say it is it is uh in there elsewhere Yeah, I'm not going to go through and read the entire chapter. Oh, Thank you, 34. There we go. Beautiful. I've got to turn a page. That's my problem. All right, yeah, truly I say to you, uh, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. So the similar wording there gives us our inclusio. Therefore, all of those things that are in between there, are, is, it's one thought, one idea. It's all included, okay? Now... Um. That's an example of where it's important to understand the literary context, like authors use this device in order to make certain that we have an understanding that this is all one thought, okay, and to tie seemingly disjointed ideas together. here in Micah, it seems like these ideas these uh oracles that he has. Are one. So it's, it's emphasizing the point, if you will. Okay? And it further ties together the idea that the prophets and the um, rulers of the house of Jacob, the, the leaders of a tribe or a nation, go hand in hand. When the prophets are corrupt, then the leadership will be corrupt in the nation alright, there's a direct correlation and a direct tie to those two things, alright, so we have to remember that, and this is why it's very important that the church do its job properly, okay, because so goes the church, so goes the world, right, when the church doesn't care about marriage, what happens? The world goes, well, marriage is, you know, whatever we say it is, right? And that's what we've seen. There was a problem with divorce and everything else in the church long before there was gay marriage, right? Long before there was whatever what you can marry whatever you want now apparently it doesn't marriage means absolutely nothing to people. Right? All right. I know when I was younger, I thought that marriage was merely a piece of paper right? It didn't really much matter, my own self. All right, so let's, oh, uh, John, you had something to say? Uh, I was just going to ask, uh, verse 1, it says, hear now. Like you said, okay, hey, listen to me now. Yes. And then verse 9, it's like, now hear this. Like, in light of what I said, now hear this, right? It's completely Okay. Simple. Yeah, I haven't looked at the Hebrew in there, um and you have a different translation. I have to look and see what it actually says. I'm not sure. Because this, at least in, in the ESV that I'm reading right here, it says, hear you, heads of Jacob, and then hear this, you, heads of the house of Israel, which uh, conveys a very similar idea. You know. And as a matter of fact, what follows, hear this, you, heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who builds Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its heads give judgment for a bribe, its priests teach for a price, its prophets practice practice divination for money, etc., um, sums up what has come before it, you know, right. So it's giving a, a summary of the oracles that have gone before. Now, when we look at this, what what, what is going on? What, what happens here? The, he's speaking to the house of Jacob and the rulers of the house of Israel. And what does he say of them? Who detest justice. It was, in verse 1, for them to know justice, but they detest justice. They hate the good and love the evil, verse 1, and what do they do? They make all that is straight crooked, right? That's what they do. What were you going to say, Steve? I was going to ask because in Micah he addresses the rulers first mm-hmm. and then the, the prophets. Mm-hmm. And from what you're saying, from what I hear you saying, it. So goes the church, so goes our rulers. Yes. Is it simultaneous? Or is it the church first being weak and immoral and then the rulers follow suit? Yes. Or is it both? I mean, or sometimes it's one and sometimes it's the other? Or is it the church's pro- responsibility for the society? The church's responsibility for society is the church goes first. That comes first. Yep. Even though Micah here is speaking primarily to the rulers... First to the rulers, um, it it doesn't mean that the rulers are the ones who are instigating or have started the problem. You know, the prophets would have started the problem, and the rulers carry it out to its logical ends, if you will. And that's what we've seen now, right? Let's I'll use marriage again as an example. If the church is lax on marriage, right? he doesn't take it very seriously then the world works that out to its logical end and we end up in the place where we are now does that make sense Thank you, yeah. yeah okay we're, we're talking about false prophets not necessarily you know? yeah we spoke about that a bit last week right these might not these these prophets clearly had a word from god right, right? god was speaking to them remember what it says over here in verse 6, right? Well, we'll begin at verse 5. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to to eat, but declare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. Therefore it shall be night to you without vision, and darkness to you without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets, and the day shall be black over them. Implying that they once had vision, and once had divination. Were they they called by God? God was speaking to them. But then they went, whoosh, right? They started figuring, hey, I can turn this into a business. Right? The only reason I ask that is because uh, in, in Ezekiel, uh, basically the blood of the people is on Ezekiel's hands. And, and God actually says to Ezekiel, you don't you don't do this. Mm-hmm. You know. So I, I need it to Yeah, right prophets and sometimes they don't deliver (laughs) you know And it's not outside of God's control obviously look at Jonah however sometimes he lets them go astray as a judgment not just on the prophet themselves but also on the people you know I mean what's his name Um, Paul Washer talks about the false prophets that we have in our day today as a judgment on those who are sitting in the pews, right? That's what they want, right? Those itching ears and everything else. Now, does it mean that they're not true believers? Some of them probably not. But some of them just may, very well may be, you know? I spoke a lot about uh, last week those who are turning aside for personal gain, right? Because they don't, want to be, they don't want to lose their station in the world, on the world stage, right? Or their, their place in Big Eva, as, as we like to call it, right? Um, Greer and those guys, right? Does it mean that he's not saved? No, I'm not going to make that judgment. I can't make that judgment. Um, but it does mean that he's leading people astray, Right, that he once spoke truth, and now he's going off. we see that happening a lot in our day, right now they were these guys here, though these heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel to do were to do a few things. they were to know justice, right that's an interesting thing. We spoke about this a little bit when we were dealing with verse 1 and said they were supposed to know God, right? God is justice and everything else. But okay. let's give a more practical definition of justice now, okay? Alright, so justice in the Hebrew, the mishpat, mishpat, however you want to say it. <laughs> it's Hebrew. Mishpat. Um, what is justice? What is ju- what is what Comes to mind when you think of justice. We could ask, like Pontius Pilate, "What is truth? Right? What is justice? What is it? Give me a definition." Getting what you deserve. deserve. Okay. Anything else? Consequences for actions. actions. All right. Anything else? The declaration of innocence or guilt. The declaration of innocence or guilt. Okay. Anything else? Uh, Inward and outward conformity to the law of God. Inward and outward conformity to the law of God. All right. Very good. Any other definitions of the word justice? No? Okay. Declarations of innocence or guilt. So if a judge, if there's a killer, and the judge finds him guilty and he actually did the crime... That's justice. No, that's not all of it. it got to be a punishment or some type of uh, recompense. Maybe. Some type of okay. I think it's also the application of the law. The application of the law. All right. What's that? what did you say? No, just how it applies to our lives. Okay, the application of the law to our lives. In what sense? consequences for our actions actions, like Maria said okay all right so the definitions that we have received say for Chris's really are retributive justice right it's all about retribution that's the way that we perceive justice and that is the way that we perceive justice this is our, our social definition of justice right getting your just desserts as we say right That is how we define the word justice. Now, let's look at at a few things. Okay, God made man in his image, right? And placed them into his garden. And then man sinned. Okay? We all know this. That's nothing new. But that's the foundation of justice. The fact that God made man in his image. Remember what we said about... The image of God, what is the definition that I prefer for image of God? I've spoken about it numerous times, and it was uh, said by N.T. Wright. I know a lot of people don't like him. I like him. He might be wrong about some things, but who's not? So uh, I will forgive him his failings and continue to love him (laughs) and learn from him. So what's the image of God? Who remembers the definition that we gave? I repeated it for like months straight. <laughs> All right, that's okay. Yes? Yes, yes, to, to reflect him acting instead. The definition that we had given of the image of God is exercising God's wise stewardship in the world. And reflecting the praises of all creation back up to God, right? Standing at that place where heaven and earth come together, right? Because that's how we exist. We exist heavenly and we exist earthly, made of the earth, right? But God himself breathed into us and we became a living creature. So we have elements of the heavenly, and elements of the earthly, and that makes a whole person. So we are called by God to, again, exercise God's wise stewardship over His creation, as you said, His representatives, and at the same time, as the representatives of the earth, reflect all the praises of creation back up to God. Now, remember what we spoke about Early on when we started talking about Micah, um, I used the example from that book about the stonemason, right? And him building the church, that cathedral. And he understood the stones. And all, even stones are made for the glory of God. And so he took his work seriously. He took every stone seriously, understanding that it was made by God, for God, and in that sense participates in God and therefore must be treated with respect. Not the same way we treat a human being with respect, but as God's creation. And then hearing the stone, listening to the stone, understanding the stone's spirituality, um, forming it and shaping it, bringing out its glory, its beauty that God put into it and using it and that sense to praise god reflect reflect god's glory in the works of his hands in the earth right that's one way that a person may s- reflect the cr- praises of creation back to their creator right that's and at the same time he's fulfilling his first calling right exercising wise stewardship over god's creation the two aren't mutually exclusive they go hand in hand Now, as God's representatives, as His image, that means we are to rule the world, govern the world, steward the world, according to His definitions of good and evil, of beautiful and ugly, etc., right? Of good and evil. Uh, This means all men are equal before God, right? Being made in Him, His image and have what we as Americans call God-given rights or inalienable rights, right? This is the foundation for the Declaration of Independence. Unfortunately, we have something in there called uh, Nature and Nature's God, which is wholly inadequate and more deistic than anything else. Very wrong-headed. It doesn't deal with the reality of our being made in the image of a very personal and definite creator. So, this is the foundation of what justice is. All right. Now, our society talks and makes much of justice. We hear all the time, right, talk about social justice or economic justice, which is the same thing as social justice, all these different types of justice that you'll hear. I mean, my goodness, you go to any university, you'll have black whites, women's rights, you know, East Asian rights, all these different rights classes that you can attend and find out how all of these different groups have been oppressed and therefore need justice and whatever else, right? But the problem is they have no basis for what they call justice. They have no foundation for it. There's no solid foundation for justice. And it seems to change daily, right? Something that everyone would have agreed is wrong a year ago. Now, if we don't support and applaud, we are just bigots and haters and oppressors, and we need to be utterly destroyed because we're acting unjustly towards that person or group of people, right? There is no definition of justice that is solid. Now, this comes from an idea from our buddy Pythagoras, right? You guys know Pythagoras was, the Pythagorean theorem, all those sorts of things. Now, um, he had this idea, he coined the term, anyways, as far as I know, uh, homo mensura, right? Man, the measure. And this is what we're seeing now is that idea being taken to its logical end. Homo mensura simply is. Man is the measure of all things, okay? Uh, everything is relative to man's apprehension and to his experience, thus making all truth relative. Right? If we are the ones who uh, are the measure of justice, not God, God is in justice. We measure justice, we measure goodness, we measure truth, we measure beauty by ourselves. We're transitory, right? We are temporal. And as temporal beings, and if we are the definition of those things, or we define those things, then the definition of those things is temporal, it's transitory. It is not absolute. Therefore, it changes as we change right? There's no absolute standard for justice. There's no absolute standard for goodness. There's no absolute standard for anything. That's what we're seeing in our day today. We're seeing this idea being taken to its logical end, and what do we have? Chaos, right? This is the death of absolutes or transcendentals, right? Now, I was given a, the wonderful book by Jacob, by Richard Weaver, called The Ideas Have Consequences. He wrote this book after um, 1945, after the um, Second World War, right? And he was just looking back and saying, well, how did this happen, and where is it going, right? And he was right on. Right on. He prophesied back then the, the ills that we're facing today is fantastic. I highly recommend I read it twice. It was so good last week. You know what I mean? It was excellent. But everyone should get a copy and everyone should read it. I don't think he went far enough, but it was great. He understood the problem to a T. It is the loss of transcendentals. That's Our problem. But that's not the only problem. I mean, transcendentals this is where he didn't go far enough. I think the only reason there are transcendentals, forms as Plato called them, etc., is because God is primary. God is first. He existed first. He is unchanging, immutable simple. Therefore, justice is God, right? Etc. cetera. And that idea cannot change because God does not change, right? It's very basic in that sense. But that's why there are no transcendentals. We eliminate God. God is dead, as Nietzsche says. Therefore, we have to take his place, as he understood and he saw uh, very well, well that would lead as well. And He lived it out. Madness, right? Chaos. And he ended his life in a bed of literal madness. He went crazy himself. Okay, so, because with the death of transcendentals, there is no good, no bad, no virtue, no vice, no truth, no falsehood, no justice, no injustice. These words are merely um, words. They are Slogans without meaning, in the proper sense of the word meaning. um, And become, and can become, and have become, for men, uh, stand-ins or slogans for power. That's all it's about, is power. And that's what social justice, in the collegiate sense, the academic sense, is it's all about power it's all about the oppressed and the oppressor right those who have power and those who don't have power right and by using these words they are exercising they understand that they can exercise power over people that's why they're trying to shame people into doing certain things because that's all that's left there's no actual meaning there's only force there's only power that's all that remains How does one man rule another without transcendentals? Force. How do you get somebody to do what's right? Well, what is right? There's no right. I have the might. I make the right. Yeah? That's all that's left is power. So, that's what we see in our day today. Why can these people riot and loot and whatever else? Well, this is one oppressed group trying to wrest power from another group that they have deemed the oppressor, right? Therefore, it is right for them to riot and loot and kill and whatever else. It's not wrong. They can do those things. But if the other side goes and walks through Capitol Hill, oh my goodness, all hell breaks loose. You know? It's it's an insurrection. These people need to go to prison. Why is that? How, how, like, what's the disparity there? Well, power's the disparity. The oppressed group has the right, because they're trying to wrest power from the other group, right? That's all that's left. It's just power. It's a power game. What were you going to say, Maria? It is. It is a displeasure. You know why it's a displeasure? And this goes back to Richard Weaver's book because people were promised much, right? What do we have the right to in our society? The pursuit of happiness. These people get. All this stuff. And what do they find? They're unhappy. Right? It's like, well, geez. But all there is is stuff. Right? There's no transcendental. There's nothing outside of ourselves. So how do I become happy? Well, what don't I have? I don't have as much as that guy's got. So I need to take what he's got. Then I'll be happy. But it's a lie. Right? That's where we have... Come to as a people. Now let's look at God's definition of justice. For them, force gives meaning. Force makes justice. Power. That's it. Now God's definition of justice. It's tied closely to another word, righteousness. You'll see these two words together in Scripture a lot. Righteousness and justice. Justice and righteousness. Right. Righteousness. Zedekiah deals with what? What is righteousness? Give me a definition. Just the same way you gave me a definition for justice. What do you think righteousness is? Living according to God's law. law. Any others? Go ahead. To To be right with God. All right. Now, believe it or not, righteousness deals primarily with right relationships with other people. What does the law primarily deal with in terms of um, how we live? Love your neighbor as yourself. Yes, it does. We have to be righteous towards God. And how are we righteous towards God? By loving our neighbor, right? What does is, what is, uh, the Apostle say? How can you love God whom you haven't seen if you don't love your neighbor whom you have, right? You, there's, they're not mutually exclusive. <laughs> You can't love God without loving your neighbor, and you can't love your neighbor properly without loving God. Right? Okay. So, righteousness deals with keeping right relationships between people as image bearers of God. And justice is the restoration of righteousness, of those right relationships between people. That's why the law of God, when it penalizes people, is restorative, right? Always. Now, what this means, it goes far beyond mere retribution. But it deals with actually seeking out those who are disenfranchised and restoring them, right? We call it charity or mercy. We have what we called the ministry of mercy. But it should be more properly called the ministry of justice. Sounds like a governmental entity, doesn't it? (laughs) But it is a governmental entity. We're called to govern. Steward, right? The church acts as God's agents in this world. We are his governmental agents in a proper sense. Now, Justice is something that we do, right? Micah 6 8. What does Micah 6 8 say? I got it. Yes, it does. Yes. Do justice is the first one. Do justice. What does that mean? That means seek out those who are vulnerable and being taken advantage of and help them. And go further than this. We are to become the advocates of those who are being oppressed and take steps to change the social structures that create the injustice. That's our task and our calling by God. To do justice. Love mercy and walk humbly, right? I'm going to talk more about that later. Um... Here, I'll show you a couple examples of this as quickly as I'm able. Man, I was hoping I could at least get through this. (laughs) All right. just I don't have much left in terms of my notes, but, you know, I can just carry on. on. So Proverbs 31. Let's look at that. Not about the woman. About the other part of Proverbs 31. Mm -hmm. What's that? Yeah, the neglected first part of Proverbs 31. That is correct. Let's look at verses 8 and 9. Open your mouths for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. All right? Where to do that? Let's look at another place. Let's go to Jeremiah 22 and look at verse 3. Real quick here. Okay. Thus says the Lord, Do justice and righteousness and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed. See what it says? Deliver from the oppressor. See, there is oppressor and oppressed language. That is proper, in its proper place. And it does deal with justice. And we are to deliver, but we need the transcendent understanding of justice. God's definition of justice, not ours. It's not about force. It's not about power. As a matter of fact, how does God deliver from uh, the oppressed. How does God do that? How did God do that? By entering into the lives of the oppressed and delivering them from underneath, right? He, God came down to our station, to our place. That's a hard thing to do. That's a very hard thing to do, stepping down and entering into somebody's life. That means you got to take someone else's problems and make them your own problem. That's, that's tough. That's tough, isn't it? Here's a good example of justice. Chris is holding a baby right now. He's entering into the life of somebody, right? He's delivering somebody from... He's exercising... He's doing justice, as we'd say. Okay. Let's look at another place here. Let's go backwards. Let's go to the left, as Vodibakum is wont to say. Proverbs, or Proverbs. We just did Proverbs. Sorry, Psalms. The Book of Psalms. The Book of Songs. Uh, Psalm one forty-six is the one I want. And let's look at verse seven and eight, or seven to nine here. This is about God. God does this. He executes justice for the oppressed. See, justice for the oppressed. There it is again. And how does he do this? He gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over who? The sojourner, the immigrant. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. What does he do? But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. Wickedness. What is that? Rasha, right? It literally means guilty. The guilty. Now what is that? What is this deal? with Those who mistreat men as image bearers, abusing them and trampling on the rights that God has given to them. That's what, we're, that's what Micah is lambasting these rulers for. He's taking away... Remember, taking away the inheritance, what God gave these people, they're taking it away unjustly, right? So, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to do justice. And that means, as we said, making other people's problems our problem, right? That's the only way that the church is going to have any hope of changing society. Otherwise, what does it say? What's God going to do? Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins, and the mountain of the house a wooded height. If we don't do justice, if the church doesn't exercise its God-given calling, what's going to happen to us? He's going to remove our lampstand. He's going to cast us out as the salt has been cast out, right? As Jesus says, if the salt loses its savor, what's it good for? If the salt loses its saltiness, what happens? It's worthless. worthless. What does he do? You throw it in the ground, and what happens to that salt? Trampled underfoot by men, specifically. How does God discipline the church? What does the Davidic covenant say? He says, if your son goes astray, I will discipline him with the rods of men. Right? That's what it says. What happens if the church goes astray? He disciplines us with the rods of men. That's what happens to us. We've lost our voice because we've lost our calling. This is our calling. I mean, what does he say we're to do? It's not very complicated. It's a hard thing to do, but it's not complicated. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly, right? <laughs> complicated? No. Hard, very So, any thoughts before we close? Comments or questions? No? Nothing? Go ahead, Maria. You're exactly right. The church doesn't recognize what true justice is. And as a matter of fact, if you even say the words... Justice and oppressed, in the same sentence, society has made it so that that becomes odious to us. Because we think of justice in the retributive sense, retributive sense, only. And that is not correct. We need to think of justice in the restorative sense. Right? We need to deliver justice to the oppressed. to the And he gives us a group of people, who are the most oppressed peoples in societies? The immigrants, the widows, and the orphans, right? Those who can be taken advantage of so, so easily. All right. Any other comments or questions? Go ahead, Jacob. I have a In it talks about saving others by them out of the fire. And the garden, by the flesh. Yes. Satan is very crafty. Yeah, we can't fall into the same traps, right? We can't... When Jesus entered into our world to deliver us from our sin, he didn't become a sinner himself, right? So when we take on others' problems, we can't fall into the same temptations that they do, right? Because, again, all these things are... Or not even the same temptations as those who are... Uh, Oppress in the proper sense, but we can't look down our nose, become proud ourselves. That is Satan's great fall. Eh? Very easy to do. You know, you take somebody into your house, like, you know, I took the drug addict into my house and uh, try to help him out, try to get him cleaned up, you know. But you know easy it is when he keeps falling to go, What's wrong with you? You know what I mean? You know how easy that is? Can't do that. Can't do that. Alright. I think it's important to know the difference between uh sympathy and empathy. Yeah. Sympathy, good. Empathy straight from the pit of hell. Alright. Like yes. we need to have uh give sympathy, but is that the fault of another person's despair and right. Empathy is experiencing somebody else's emotions. Alright? That's what empathy is. Taking on their emotions. That's not the same thing as taking on their problems. Sympathy is taking on their problems. The word comfort means it's a combination of two words, right? Calm and forte. With strength. When you come alongside somebody to comfort them, you're supposed to be strong, not bring yourself down into their weakness and lift them up, not let them drag you down. Empathy drags you down, and nothing ever is accomplished. Then you have two people wallowing in a mire. Sympathy lifts up. Big difference between the two. Alright, I gotta pray and close. Alright, so, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, Father God, that you are a God of justice, that justice is your throne and righteousness is your footstool, Father God. And you saw fit to enter into Our world, Lord God, the world that you made to take on flesh, dwell among us, take our problems on, bear the six of the world, Lord God, and die on our behalf. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for this. We thank you, Father, that you sent your Son to do this great work of salvation that you've loved us so much that you would do this on our behalf, Father. And we, Lord God, uh, we pray Lord, that we would be a people who does justice, who loves mercy, and always, always is humble before you, Father. That we would live our lives quorum there, before your face, mindful of your law, that it would never, ever depart from our minds or our hearts, Lord. And we pray, Father, that um, even now as we begin to worship you, Lord, that you would guide us in that worship, that it would be a worship that is pleasing and honoring to you, that we might um, come before you and give you glory, Lord, that you would hear us, hear our pleas, hear our prayers, Lord God, hear our songs of praise and adoration, that you would remember us, Lord, as we partake of your table, and as we hear your word, that you would transform us and change us and move us, Lord, that we might be molded and shaped into the image of the true man, your Son, Lord. And we pray, Father, that we might take that word that we have received and go out into the world and truly do justice. We pray these things in Christ's name, amen.